We are all so very blessed to live in this great United States of America, leader of the free world. And we should never take for granted our national security is fearlessly defended at home and abroad by our men and women in uniform. We honor them for their sacrifice. But national security starts with, I'd say, being able to supply our own basic needs. And thus, the farms and ranches throughout America are also key. Yes, you heard that right. Food security is national security, and America's farmers and ranchers are integral to feeding our nation and the world. Welcome to Groundwork. I'm your host, Tom Sell, and we have a very special guest today. He is a Texas Congressman and Air Force Reservist with a great military career, the Honorable August Fluger. Congressman Fluger has served on the front lines as an Air Force pilot and has also served in the Pentagon and in a NATO command. Congressman Fluger is now serving in Congress as a member of the House Foreign Affairs and Homeland Security Committees and leader of the Texas Ag Task Force. Congressman Fluger, thank you for joining us. It's great to have you today. Uh, and first, I just want to say, maybe before we dig into some of the farm policy issues or the, the greater policy issues, would you just tell us a little bit about uh, your district, uh, the district that you represent, the 11th District of Texas, uh, and maybe the important role that agriculture plays in that district? Well, absolutely, Tom. Thank you for having me on today. And I, I love the name of the podcast because I think at the, I mean, at, at the most foundational level, uh, groundwork, you know, it really describes what I think is is the most important thing for a nation to be able to to use the resources that they have. Um, and in the case of the United States, we're so blessed to be able to use our resources and be self-sufficient on feeding ourselves. And it's yeah. you see so many situations around the, the world where you get into you get into some, you know, pretty bad uh, situations when you either don't have the resources or you have to rely on others. So thank you for having me on. And I, I'm really proud to represent a district that uh, I, I am so proud to, to what I call the best district in the country um, because it has it. In, and some of my colleagues might disagree, but that, that's OK. We we have 29 counties. We go all the way from the New Mexico state line in Andrews County and include Midland and Odessa all the way east, almost to Fort Worth, uh, including Granbury and Hood County, and then down um, south to Llano, uh, Llano County, and, and including San Angelo, my hometown. And I think the, the most important thing about our district is uh, the, the three things that we do that add to national security. Number one, the agricultural production including cotton, cattle, sheep, and goats, which my family has raised for a long time. Wheat and other agricultural products um, are, are among the top, not just in the state of Texas, but the production is, you know, in the top of the country for those products. Number two, the oil and gas industry, which is unparalleled and, and unmatched throughout the United States uh, and helps our farmers and our ranchers do their job. And obviously, we know the importance of that, of being energy Self-sufficient is just so important. And number three, we have an Air Force base that trains um, 12,000 airmen and, and other service members to keep our country safe. So that's a little bit about our district. Um, and I, I would say that at the, the most basic level, uh, that before there was anything else in our district, there was agriculture. And I think yeah. that after um, there's anything else in our district, it will still be agriculture. And, and that 
from a cultural experience and also from, you know, what allows people and, and our families to put food on the table, including my family, um, is the agricultural business. I love that. And I, I do love uh, your particular district. It is, a, it is an area of legend in American lore. Uh, if for our listeners, if you want to read a great book about the Congressman's District, uh, pick up The Time It Never Rained by Elmer Kelton. It's a great story of a of a, of a character named Charlie Flagg, um, who who just goes through some of the the, the real challenges of of, of operating a, a what was a proud cattle ranch turned to a, to a sheep and goat ranch. But uh, I, I, I digress. Well, no, Tom, you're, you're, you're right. He. You know, in, he, we have 15 million, over 15 million acres of ranch land. And, um, you know, his stories are, unfortunately, they're they're true. You know, <laughs> you, you look at the what we're going through right now. But what a great author and, uh, and a legend to describe. Well, um, is, it goes to the, the toughness and the resilience of of that region and the people from that region. So I guess I got to ask. What made you decide to go to the Air Force Academy? You got an appointment there and, and uh, kind of direct your professional career on, on more the military side of, of, uh, of, of the spectrum. You know, I think as you look at the, I mentioned the culture of our district and, and I, that culture to be specific is hardworking families yeah. that, that don't want anything handed out to them, that want to do a good job and raise their families in a way that, they they teach them accountability and and service before self and so um, I like many others learn from the generation above me my grandfather actually two grandfathers that served uh, during World War II and just listening to their stories and and these they were in the ranching business and were, were part of uh, the culture of just working hard but they had also served in the military and so. I think it was something that was ingrained in me early on. And, and then the little desire to fly, uh, to, uh, to, to fly in a, in a fast jet. Um, and I know that uh, people in Lubbock with Reese Air Force Base and those of us in San Angelo that watch all the airplanes doing touch and goes uh, can, can really um, can relate to this, these stories. But as a kid, I saw these airplanes coming in all the time and just thought, you know what, I think I want to do that. Uh, and was fortunate enough to go to the Air Force Academy and, and have a, a great career flying airplanes and being able to serve in a lot of different places. It's really cool. We're, we're an audio podcast. So I, I can say well, without reservation, not only does August Fluger fly faster planes than Maverick, but he's also better looking. Um, and, and so we're, we're so honored to have you for, for all those reasons. So I think everyone's been watching this, this conflict in Ukraine of late, and maybe it's helped everyone gain a, a, a better understanding of the nexus between agricultural policy, food policy, export policy, and uh, so food security and national security. You know, Ukraine is a big producer, 30 million tons of grain that are annually exported. 24% of the world's wheat production comes from this Russia-Ukraine area. It's placed a renewed focus on the importance of, of, of all agricultural production, but also I think from a home standpoint in our U.S. farm production. I, I want to just ask you, kind of, how important is it that America be able to grow the food and fiber we need here at home from a broader national security perspective? It's not something we think about a lot, but would you just reflect on that a bit? It, I, I can't think of anything more important. And I know that, that our founding fathers understood this. 
And I mean, we're so blessed in this country to have so many different areas of production, different types of agricultural products um, between farming and ranching. And we just, we do it so well, but it's taken, it's taken multi-generational knowledge and technology to get there. Um, and when you think about Ukraine, and this is something that I'm intimately familiar with because, you know, I, I got a chance to go and visit with President Zelensky just before they were invaded. And there were a couple of topics that were brought up. Um, but I think the theme is that a country that can feed itself is so much more strong than one that cannot. And when those dependencies, you know, rely on malign actors, as the Ukrainians have had to rely on Russia or have been forced to rely on Russia through pure uh, political strength for their energy, you know, you see the importance of being able to, to feed your own people. Ukraine is a breadbasket of, uh, of Central and Eastern Europe. Yeah. I mean, it's, it kind of makes you wonder if the Russians were eyeing that as a place that they wanted back for that reason. And I, I mean, you know, whether it's the wheat they produce or, or any other products, um, the, I think the, the fact of the matter is that with the world population increasing, that every single country is going to have to think harder and ha is going to have to be sharper and more efficient in the way that they feed their populations and in the way that, that trade occurs. And we in the United States have to be extremely vigilant to learn those lessons and to make sure that we can still produce our own food and not be reliant on actors in the international community who want to take us down or who want to to reduce our power, or in some cases who could withhold certain products from us um, that, that would eventually weaken us to a point uh, that was unacceptable. That's so well said. Um, the vigilance that you mentioned, the intentionality, and like I said, I particularly appreciate your, your even tying it back to our founding fathers, uh, realizing the simple fact that we, we wanted to have agricultural independence uh, first and and just something we talk about often on this podcast. There has been intentionality from the beginning of our nation in trying to, you know, plant people into the the rural areas, and 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 give away land. Things like strong private property rights were intentional ways to get families rooted to the land, invested in their local communities, building civic organizations, and so they could go on and 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 do other great things. Build this this great. Um, culture and economy that, that, that we take for granted in, in so many ways these days. I, I should say it, it's a tough time for agriculture uh, right now. Um, we're all seeing the effects of inflation. Fuel prices are above five bucks a gallon. Fertilizer prices have more than doubled. And, and of course, in your area, drought is affecting much of Texas. What are you seeing on the ground in your district and uh, from both the producer's uh, viewpoint and the consumers and and kind of maybe talk a little bit about uh, where what is a, a proper role for the federal government uh, to play in these kind of, of, of situations? It, it is a tough time. And the analogies that people are making, the agricultural producers, the farmers and the ranchers, uh, are looking back to 2011 and comparing 2022 to 2011. Um, and, and I think it's th this is a really important year for us to stay vigilant. And it underscores what that role is, that the federal government does have a role to play and that it should be focused around national security. 
So the policies that we enact um, should, should focus on providing a strong foundation and a safety net to make sure that it's not just the year-to-year production and the year-to-year crops that we are growing and the livestock that we're, that we're raising. Uh, that's obviously very, very important, and I'm sure we'll get into those specifics uh, here. Um, but it's also the fact that the people who are doing it, the less than 1%, it's, I think that's about the, the approximate 1% of Americans who actually know how to farm a ranch have to continue to do this because that knowledge is not gained overnight. You can't just come in and start farming successfully because it takes time to learn those lessons. It takes time to understand how livestock grow and what works and what doesn't work and, uh, and how to do it. And in some cases, you know, you have to learn it sometimes from your parents. And then maybe after 40 or 50 years, you actually know the right way to do it. And so the federal government, I believe, needs to play a role in 2022 highlights exactly how important that role is to have a strong safety net, to make sure that when the volatility happens, whether that volatility comes from weather or whether that volatility comes from markets or whether that volatility comes from conflict across the ocean in a place like Ukraine, things that we can't control, the federal government needs to make sure that the farmers and ranchers are still able year in and year out to produce our own needs. And that is the bottom line. This is a national security issue that when those grocery store shelves were empty at the beginning of the pandemic, imagine if that persisted. That was a minor supply chain glitch. But imagine if that persisted because we actually don't have the products. We can't get to that point. And so the federal government in a national security mindset needs to make sure that that foundation is there and that we have a strong safety net this isn't a handout, quite the opposite. This is a hand up for those that are helping produce and grow and raise the products that can feed our country and can help us supply our need, the needs of our partners and allies who don't have the resources that we're blessed to have. That's a great point. There's a big diplomatic element to, to you know, our strong domestic farm policy as well. And I'm so glad, obviously, you mentioned the safety net. Obviously, the farm bill or, or the kind of the farm safety net is, is often under attack um, from organizations from both the right and left, like the American Enterprise Institute or um, the Heritage Foundation at times, uh, along with maybe from the left, like the Environmental Working Group, um, spend an inordinate amount of time, really kind of make their living in some ways uh, as, as think tanks trying to skewer farm policy. The Farm Bill is coming up for reauthorization next year in 2023. Um, the district rep you represent is the third largest agricultural district in the state, one of the largest in the country. Bringing that uh, to the table, what are some of the issues that you're looking at or, or some of the things that you think we should concentrate on uh, coming into this next Farm Bill? Well, I, I think, again, 2022 is a good year to look at. Um, very similar to 2011. And, and I'll start by saying that these, the volatility that I just previously talked about, you can't predict it um, in all cases. Um, and, and that's the, the unpredictability of agriculture uh, yeah. is the reason that we have a farm bill. And yeah. yes, it can always be better. And a, a huge kudos to my predecessor, Chairman Conaway, because, you know, he worked in a bipartisan manner, but he worked in a way that was conservative, yeah. that, that conservatives could get on board with. And, and obviously there are fiscal concerns, not just with this, uh, but with every aspect of government. 
Um, but I think the priorities that, that I'm focused on right now, number one, you know, instead of having an ad hoc program and an ad hoc process for things like the hurricane indemnity program, yeah. um, or, or commonly kind of known and referred to as WIP plus, yeah. you know, when we get into either uh, the hurricane season or for our area that really affects West Texas and, and the drought stricken area, um, yeah. That, that is happening right now, currently, WIP Plus, you know, those are, those are programs that we need to really consider um, cutting down on the bureaucratic red tape that we have to go through each year um, and maybe making it more of a permanent aspect of the farm bill. So I think, you know, first and foremost, that's something that we're going to be looking at. And crop insurance will remain uh, a priority, but, but let's look at, you know, maybe the, the price loss coverage yeah. uh, and the agricultural risk coverage and how we can make those better. And I think, you know, when you, when you start looking at the technical details of this, uh, on the safety net side of it, we can always be more efficient. Um, but there's a lot of producers out there, my family included right now, who are having to sell livestock, farmers that aren't planning uh, because the drought is so bad. Uh, yeah. You know, these are really serious issues that it doesn't take more than a couple of years um, of the volatility regardless of where it comes from, to put somebody out of business where they don't have the ability to grow, that is a national security issue. When you look at a farm bill, um, I hope that we can all look at this as a national security issue. And now is the time to look at it based on the lessons we've learned in Ukraine with conflict, based on the lessons that we're learning through a drought right now, knowing uh, that it's very difficult what that 1% of the population does to farm and ranch and provide food for every single American because every American eats and we need to keep that in mind. Three times a day, hopefully. I, I, you, you've covered so many great things there, uh, Congressman. Uh, one, the Farm Bill does bring together a lot of diverse interests. And you mentioned the leadership of, of, of your predecessor, Mike Conway, both conservative leadership, but also very compassionate uh, leadership, knowing that the effect of this Farm Bill affects even the food prices that, that everyone pays, uh, the, 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 the programs that we have designed to give people you have people a, a hand up uh, when they find themselves in 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 trouble, not even being able to meet their their own uh, uh, th their own needs uh, from day to day. It is it's an amazing bill that brings a lot of interest together. There is unfortunately a lot of cynicism about it from those kind of critical groups, and even sometimes in the mainstream media. I, I want to mention, you know, the New York Times published and a series of op-eds uh, about our ag policy and about our ag enterprise in the United States. The title of it is just awful. Honestly, it, it should be thrown in the waistband. I hate in some ways to even mention today, but their, their, their title, their lead-in was Meet the People Getting Paid to Kill Our Planet. Obviously, it had a very strong environmental bent, but nothing could be further from the truth. The video, it's, it's a prime example of the educational disconnect that we talk about a lot on this on this groundwork podcast. Um, many members of Congress do, in fact, represent districts without a large farming presence. You deal with them on a day to day basis. I guess the question I want to get to is, what do you think we can all do better to help educate, kind of the non agricultural, the non uh, uh, producing public, the vast ninety nine percent or greater than ninety nine percent that don't really have any practical expertise on the farm or experience on the farm? What can we do to better educate that 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 crowd about the the particular challenges? Uh, the fact that it's not as simple as just going out and throwing out seed. Uh, there is science. There's engineering. 
there's art uh, involved in, in agriculture. How do we do a better job of telling that story? Well, it's difficult when you see a headline like that. You know, meet the people who are getting paid to, in that case, just destroy the planet or, or not take care of it. And, and that's, you know, I would invite them to come out to West Texas to see how we care for the land. It's very difficult. Obviously, we know in a drought-stricken area, one that depends on rain and depends and always has, and this is not a new, um, you know, the, the climate issues that we've had to deal with. Uh, since my ancestors started farming and ranching in Texas, uh, which was in 1848, what we're going through now is, is no different than what they went through the very first year they immigrated to this country. Um, and I think that, unfortunately, sometimes the education requires a crisis. And I, I think we were all hopeful at the beginning of the pandemic that maybe this was the time when people would appreciate fully, even if they lived in an urban area and had no idea what farmers and ranchers did on a daily basis, maybe this was the time that they would appreciate us knowing that there's going to be food on the shelves when they go to a store. Uh, and if you want to see people taking care of, of land and true conservationists, I invite you to come to San Angelo, Texas. I invite you to go to, to Lubbock, Texas and spend time with Congressman Arrington, who does a great job messaging on this. Uh, and come spend a week with us and we'll show you the people who care about this planet more than anybody else uh, on this planet. Man, that's so perfectly said. Uh, you know, in my experience throughout the country, in all regions, uh, certainly I love West Texas. Uh, but you can go to every pocket of this nation and find uh, folks, men and women, who are rooted to the land and whose primary asset is the land. And so they naturally have an incentive to, to take care of it, to pass it on from one generation to the next better than it was passed. That's right. Then that is the ethic. That, that I know that we're all familiar with in, in rural America. And, and I appreciate your invitation uh, uh, to get people out because there really is no better, no better way. Uh, we need to get people out. Well, and Tom, you know, you, you've done this um, and you've been a big part of it when we brought the Western Caucus, uh, not only to Lubbock and the surrounding areas and we're able to see agricultural production there, but also into Midland and able to see the nexus of energy. So thank you for your work in educating people from Minnesota and Iowa and California and all over the United States, Washington. So uh, you, you've done a great job with that. Um, and I mentioned Congressman Arrington, you know, he was part of that, a huge part of planning and leading that. And I can't thank him enough either. Indeed. No, he's, he's a great asset. Uh, and we're just so grateful. I love I love doing it. It's what we're about. It's what this this podcast is designed to be about. So, Congressman Fleur, I, I can't thank you enough for spending time. I can't thank you enough for, one, your service to the country as a soldier in the cockpit, as uh, uh, a, a true maverick in, in that way, going into harm's way uh, to protect the American people. But there's no way we can say thanks enough for that. Now, turning your... Your, your experience and your talents to serve your nation in an often underappreciated job that is serving in Congress and, uh, and people don't appreciate, I, one, just how many good down to earth people there are serving their nation in Congress. Um, but I hope people see even on this podcast today, just what a genuine, sincere um, uh, 
man we have in, in Congressman August Pfluger in, in serving our nation in the U.S. Congress, bringing uh, that particular uh, expertise. Any final kind of things you'd like to say before we, before we wrap this up, Congressman Pfluger? Well, again, thank you for having me. Um, and I think the, the final thing I'll say on this is, you know, at, at uh, kind of from a spiritual level, um, think about the biblical references to agriculture. And almost yeah. every example that growing up learning Bible stories, they had to do with agriculture. Yeah. The example of growing crops and how to take care of them had, you know, such it was such an important piece of telling the story, um, you know, through that kind of perspective, because people could see that you could see and, and everyone participated in agriculture yeah. years ago. In fact, I think, you know, we're in the first and a half generation of people, second generation of people that have in the history of the planet haven't had to procure their own food. And when you think about it that way, we've kind of lost touch on a spiritual level as well with, you know, what those biblical stories really meant and, and really physically understanding them with your own hands. And so I think about that and then I tie that to how the Constitution was written. And the Constitution was written by farmers. Yeah. And everybody who had a hand literally in writing the Constitution understood. And they took those biblical principles and they tied in agrarian principles that I think were, were directly from, um, you know, in my own faith, from, from what the biblical teachings were. So I don't think it's a stretch to say that we should get back to that. In fact, I think we have to get back to that. I'd just like to say thank you to the, the producers that, you know, every single day you and your families are out there working hard to, uh, to not only put food on your table, but to put food on our table. Uh, and so thank you for what you do. I love it. And Congressman Fluger, I'm so glad you went there. Um, you're right. And, and one, of the, one of the first places uh, that you can find a, a good example of strong agricultural policy that, that that led to the protection of uh, of a nation is in is in the book of Genesis when Joseph, after a dream of the Pharaoh of, of seven years of plenty yeah. followed by seven years of drought, they made an agricultural policy to set aside twenty percent of of their crop in in a given year so that they could make it through the drought. Smart. That, that Smart was the ball. first example of national security as it relates <laughs> to food. I love it. And thank you so much, uh, Congressman Pfluger, for spending time with us today. Thank you again for your service. That's going to do it for this episode of Groundwork. I'm Tom Sell.